Father, we just love you this morning. And we just declare the beauty of the name of Jesus. God, we acknowledge you for who you are. We thank you for the price that you paid for us. And Father, this morning we just come to give you back the very breath in our lungs, God, that you breathed into us. Father, we love you. God, we ask that you be honored and you are glorified through our worship this morning. Speak to our hearts as we hear your word, Father. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 23. Back to the study in David with David. 1 Samuel chapter 23. Say with me, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God are all we need, and we need each desperately. I hope that you're thinking about that throughout the week and realizing the importance of it. The Word, His Spirit, and His people. Perhaps the hardest part of those three that we struggle with is learning to believe in his people. That could be the hardest hurdle for us in realizing what we need. And today I think we're going to discover one of the benefits or uh, one of the lessons that David is learning and the benefits of God's people. When I think about the life of David, you see his ups and downs. He started really, really well. Slaying Goliath. He's celebrated. He's honored. He's exalted. And then Saul is not able to handle that and, and, and hunts him down. His life is threatened. His life is, Saul has tried to kill him now five or six times. Um, and, and he had such a fall. And, uh, he needed it. He needed that. There's no other way David is different than anybody else that you start high and you just, you just get higher and higher and higher, that you start at a high level of character and spirituality and understanding and, and you just, you just skyrocket. All of us are like David. We need to be in the wilderness. All of us have to be humbled. All of us have to be taught. All of us have to go through difficult times so that we learn to believe in God. We learn to trust God. We learn to, to follow Him in obedience. And David is no different. Uh, and when David is in the cave, and when David is in the forest, and David be in the wilderness, I just kind of wonder if at night, you know, in that cave when everybody's snoring, uh, when everybody's under the trees, when, you know, he's, he's got 600 men by now. And I can't imagine the echo in those caves where they were hiding out. If when David can't sleep, and there's, I just don't believe that there's any way that David had good sleep every night based on what he's going through, that David doesn't literally lust for the days out there with the sheep and the goats in the wilderness. I just think, man, there's no way. I, I I just think that he has a yearning, a longing to be back in the in the simple life. You know, all he had to worry about when he was taking care of his dad's sheep and goats is bears and lions, coyotes, the enemy, the predators. That's all he had to worry about. All he had to worry about was, 
you know, the, 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 the sheep that would get lost and the sheep that would find themselves between a rock and a hard place. And, and it compared to what he's going through now in running for his life from uh, Saul, those days in the sheep fields had this seemed like utopia to him now. Now, he had to have this kind of thought about things. Lord, why in the world did you call me to this? You know, being the king was not his choice. He didn't, he didn't yearn for that. He was selected to be the king. God chose him. And, and it's not of his doing. It's not of his choosing. And so I can imagine that David is in that cave and in those forests under those trees at night thinking, I didn't choose this mess. I didn't choose this life. God, why did you choose me? I had it made out there with the sheep. And now I've got all these problems. I didn't have this kind of stress with the sheep. I didn't have these kind of issues with the sheep. And now I have all this taking place. Well, the Christian life, the calling of God is a call to responsibility, not a call to ease and comfort. And, and that's what we learn from David more than perhaps anything else is that he was called to a life of responsibility, a life of faith, a life of trust. Out there with the sheep, David could be on autopilot, right? He knew how to do it. He was good with the slingshot. He was good with the predators. He had the sheep life down. And he could literally just exist out there sheep, but God called him to something that he wasn't suited for, he didn't have experience in, and he had to live by faith. We might think that learning to be an astronaut is one of the hardest things in the world. Learning to be a pilot, learning to be a, a, a surgeon, learning to, to, to be a lawyer that understands all those laws, learning to be you know this or that and the other, all those different uh, disciplines out there that we think about that take a great deal of education, a great deal of effort, a great deal of, of uh, difficulty to get there, a lot of years of training. But boy, learning the life of faith. Now there is a discipline that takes a long time. The, like the little baby, the little baby gets where it can roll over, then the little baby gets to where it can get up on its elbows and knees a little bit. And then the little baby gets to, you know, trying to rock forward. And then the little baby takes a little, a little, goes two or three inches on its hands and knees and crawls around and then starts to crawl. Then it gets to the, the couch and can pull itself up on its feet and then starts to rock around a little bit on his feet and, you know, is thinking about taking a step and that seems like that goes by for several days or weeks and, and the baby just sits down and falls and hits his head and stuff. And, but then finally that baby's able to take a step across and reaches out and, and is able to grab on something else and takes a step or two and then takes three or four steps and then can walk across the room and then it doesn't take, seems like from that point on he's running around the house getting in everything. The Christian life, the life of faith is much like that, except a baby going from not able to crawl to be able to run across the yard is what, a two or three year deal? Learning to live by faith is a lifelong journey. And David is in that journey. And so we can learn from David.
Let's begin in verse 1. In verses 1 through 5, we see David being really different, a transition in David's life. One day news came to David that the Philistines were at Keilah stealing grain from the threshing floors. David asked the Lord, should I go and attack them? There you go. Yes, go and save Keilah, the Lord told him. But David's men said, we're afraid even here in Judah. We certainly don't want to go to Keilah to fight the whole Philistine army. I mean, they've got a valid point here, don't they? Now, David, think about it. We've got Saul's army on one side we're hiding from, and you're going to go and expose us to all the Philistine army? We've got two enemies that are after us. And by the way, both enemies are more powerful than we are. They have a legitimate complaint. They have a a, a legitimate concern here. So what does David do with that? Look in verse 4. So David asked the Lord again. And again the Lord replied, Go down to Keilah, for I will help you conquer the Philistines. So David and his men went to Keilah. They slaughtered the Philistines and took all their livestock and rescued the people of Keilah. There's a a remarkable difference taking place in David's life here. Now, David had prayed before. David understood prayer. But what we have seen before this is David figuring things out. David reacting to things. David conspiring with his good friend Jonathan. Scheming, planning, coordinating, really concerned with what Saul is about. The mindset of Saul, what Saul is doing, where he's at, where his heart is, how angry is he? And now, because he's in the wilderness, because he's learning, because he's growing, because he's developing, all of a sudden you see David transitioning into a man of prayer, praying. A man after God's own heart is a man that prays. He's learning to pray. Four different times here. He hears about the situation. Lord, should we go and take care of this situation in Keilah? The Lord says yes. He says to the man, we, we believe we should go. The Lord is leading us to go and take care of the problem with the Philistines in Keilah. The men said, wait a minute. Okay, hang, y'all hang on for a minute. David goes back and says, Lord, do we go? And the Lord says, yes, go, and I will give you the Philistines. And that's exactly what took place. The life of faith is a life where you're going to learn to pray. Now, these are not grandiose prayers. These are not ceremonial. This is, this is not with a whole lot of emotion involved. Basically, David asked the Lord, should I go and attack them? Lord, should I move? Lord, should I take this job? Lord, what do you want me to do and how do you want me to do it? Lord, my life is in your hands. What decision do we make? That's exactly the kind of prayer life that David is developing here. Now, look in verses 6 through 12. Now, when Abiathar, you remember Abiathar? Abiathar is the last priest living. 
Remember, all the priests have been killed by Doeg the Edomite. And so Abiathar, he shows up. Now when Abiathar, son of Amalek, fled to David at Keilah, he brought the ephod with him. The ephod is the vest that they would use that would have the human and thumen on it. And it, would, it was used to, to communicate God to people, people to God. It was part of the priest's position. Now, the priest in these days has a very important role. The priest stands before God and the people. The priest delivers the sacrifice. The priest takes care of all the situations. The, the priest is there for the people to be released from their sins. Today, we have Jesus Christ. We don't need a priest. To, we don't need any person to go between us and God. But in this day and time, they needed that priest. That was God's plan. That was God's method. And so it's a good thing that Abiathar shows up and he goes down to Keilah uh, where um, David and his men are and he has his ephod with him. Saul soon learned that David was at Keilah. Good, he exclaimed. We've got him now. God has handed him over to me for he has trapped himself in a walled town. So Saul mobilized his entire army to march to Keilah and besiege David and his men. But David learned of Saul's plan and told Abiathar the priest to bring the ephod and ask the Lord what he should do. And so the method of God is in place for David. The way of God, the means of God, the tools of God are being applied to his life. That's new for David. David is learning. David is growing. I don't know how old he is here. He's a young man, though. But he's growing in maturity. He's getting deeper in his faith. And so he applies, he applicates God's way in his life. Then David prayed, O Lord God of Israel, I have heard that Saul is planning to come and destroy Keilah because I am here. Will the leaders of Keilah betray me to him? And will Saul actually come as I have heard? O Lord God of Israel, please tell me. David said, look, I'm between a rock and a hard place here, Lord. I'm in this walled town. Is Saul coming? And if he comes, can I hide out here? Or will the people of Keilah betray me to him? And the Lord said, he will come. And again, David asked, will the leaders of Keilah betray me and my men to Saul? And the Lord replied, yes, they will betray you. Now that's a, that's quite a difficult thing, isn't it? We just got through you know, providing deliverance for these people, and they're going to betray me to Saul. But the people are afraid. They're afraid of the Philistines. They're afraid of that crazy man, Saul. And so they're going to, if it's between their lives, they'd hurt it. If he's going to kill all those priests, we're no big deal to him. He'll kill us on the spot. But what we see here from the life of David is David learning 
to go and apply the ways of God, the way the kingdom operates. We've got to learn the way the kingdom operates. Today, there are four ways in which we can we have available to us. We have prayer. We have God's Word. We have God's people. Isn't that interesting? The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God are all we need, and we need each desperately. God's way today is through His Word. God's way today is through His Spirit. What is that? Prayer. Learning to pray. Learning to listen. Learning to hear God. Learning to be led by His Spirit. The church, the people of God. And so we've got three things that we know for sure that we can draw to. We have His Word, we have prayer, and we have God's people, the church. Hearing testimonies, hearing what God is saying to each other in the body of Christ, hearing what is taught, hearing what God lays on the preacher's heart, hearing the words that are presented in, in, in the Sunday school groups, in the small groups, in the connection groups, hearing what God's people are saying during that small group time on Wednesday nights, activating God's method within us. And then, of course, we've got the events, the circumstances, looking around and seeing what God is doing. You see, as we have said before, I can't prove this 90%, 10% thing, but it really does seem accurate to me that 90% of all of our decisions are made for us. We know what to do. We pray. We obey. We read God's Word. We worship. We're connected. We share Christ. We give. We love, we forgive, we help. We do those 90%. God has laid out for us 90% of everything that we are to do. But there are 10% that is the difficult decision-making. Where do we live? What kind of job do we get? Where do I go to school? For you young people, who do I date? You know, do we change places? Do we change work? Do we change neighborhoods? You know, what's going on here? Do we, do we go to Cambodia? Do we go to Peru? Do we do the family mission trip? Do, do we go here? We do there? What do we do? Well, that 10% is when we come and we ask God's instruction. What does He want of us? What does He want of you? What does He want of your family? And in order to understand that, you've got to be in His Word, you need to be praying, you need to be listening, guided by His Spirit. You need to be listening to God's uh, body, the people of God, hearing what they've got to say, listening to what they understand to be right, asking them questions. It, it's kind of like this. Your good friend that you can trust in, your good friend that you're believing in, your good friend that you know is seeking the Lord's will for their own life. And so you go to them and you say, I've been reading the scripture. I've been seeking the Lord's direction. I've been praying about this issue, this decision I'm making. What do you think about this? As you follow the Lord, as you listen to God speak, what do you, what, what do you think God has for me in this? And you listen, 
And it may be that you put this together, you put that together, you put this together, that together, and it may be that you put together all the things that God continues to show you. If it doesn't violate the Scripture, if you can't get away from it, if it requires your, li your living by faith, and, and it's continually being brought before you, that's most likely in those 10% of things what you need to do. And, and, and that is the, the summary version, the small tidbit of how to live your life by faith and how to make decisions by faith, hearing what God wants. And David is learning that. He is learning not to go at it himself. He's learning not to scheme, not to plan, not to connive, not to manipulate. And then you see the wonderful thing in verses 13 through 18. So David and his men, about 600 of them, now left Keilah and began roaming the country. Word soon reached Saul that David had escaped, so he didn't go to Keilah after all. David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness, the capes, and in the hill country of Ziph. Saul hunted him day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. Was Saul capable of finding him? Oh, of course. It's not a big area. It's not gigantic. Israel itself today, it's not, it's not huge. I mean, it's kind of like we talked about Hawaii. Don't rob a bank in Hawaii. You'll, you'll, there's not a lot of place to run to. Well, it's kind of like that here in Israel. He could be found, but God didn't let Saul find him. We'll talk about more about that in a moment. One day near Horesh, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you as my father, Saul, is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horesh. All right, now, if we turn back in uh, chapter 21, I think it was uh, chapter 20, verse 4, we see, um, uh, we see Jonathan asking David, tell me what I can do to help you. Tell me what I can do for you. Now, I want you to think about how many times in your life you've had one of the Lord's people say to you, Tell me what I can do for you. And you say, I will, but you have no intention of doing that. You have no intention of doing that. Through the years, I've heard people say, uh, you know, Pastor, uh, my wife is having surgery, but we don't want anybody to know about it. Why? Well, we're, we're private people. No, no, you're not. You're not private. You're prideful. You don't want anybody to help you. 
You'll be kept for yourself. You don't want anybody messing with your business. You don't want anybody prying. You don't want anyone to annoy you. You want to be left alone because you enjoy that. That's not God's way. That is not God's way. When someone says to you, how may I help you? And you say, I got it, all's good, right? One of the reasons why you say that now, it may be, it's just that kind of thing where everything is good. You know, now Susan's having surgery on Wednesday and people says, hey, we'll bring you food. Do I need food? Do we need food? You know, I mean, really? You know, money, stocks, bonds, that'll be fine. <laughs> but food? No, I'm teasing. Uh, I caught myself doing that very same thing this week. Nah, we don't need anything. I was asked this morning, well, can we do something for you? Nah, we got it. Now, there's a chance that what we're doing with that is we're keeping people away because we don't believe in them. We don't believe in them. Maybe people always say that and never come through. That happens a lot, doesn't it? Happens all the time. Someone says, hey, I, I'll help you, and they don't. And so we're tired of that. And, and, and one of the reasons why we resist people plugging in with us is because we've been let down by people so often because people don't follow through often in what they say they're going to do. And so we're kind of on automatic now. We don't even want to go there. Let's not operate in those levels because we've been betrayed or we've been let down. We've been disappointed so many times by people that we said it's just easier not to get involved in that. But when we are like that, either not following through from the helper side or not opening up from the helpy side, we miss out on one of God's ways of helping us when we're in the wilderness. When we're seeing a rock in a hard place, perhaps we've got the army of Philistines on one side and we've got uh, the madman Saul chasing us on the other. When someone says, what can I do to help you? Probably the primary reason beyond, the secondary reason beyond people have failed us in the past is we don't believe in that friendship. We don't believe in that friendship. That's the truth. That's a sad commentary on today's society. And with all the media, with the technology and all that's going on, we're all drifting apart. All of us are in some form or another. It's not God's way. We need God's people. We need people. We need to learn again to believe in friendship. If we don't, we're going to miss out on what God has for us. David desperately needs Jonathan. He desperately needs Jonathan. He needs Jonathan for information, but he needs Jonathan for support. What does Jonathan tell him? David, you're going to be the king. God ain't going to let nothing happen to you. Saul will not find you. You will be king, and I will be right beside you. That's God's will for you. He encouraged David with the truth. 
David needed to be reminded of that. You know David is stressed out. You know David is frazzled. He's got to be chewing his fingernails down. And David needs to have these kind of people in his life that says, David, I'm here for you. And Jonathan, of course, is the right person positioned by God in the right place. And God used Jonathan in David's life. Learn to believe in people. Learn to believe in friendships. If you've been betrayed, if you've been disappointed, if you've been let down, you are, we, we all have. We're all in the same boat with that. We must think about things differently and we must learn to have the faith to re-engage and believe in God's people and give people a chance because it's God's way. It's God's method. Verse 19. Now, we've already talked a little bit about this. God didn't let Saul find him. But now the men of Ziph went to Saul in Gebeah and betrayed David to him. We know where David is hiding, they said. He is in the strongholds Horesh on the hill of Akela, which is in the southern part of Jeshimon. Come down whenever you're ready, and we will catch him and hand him over to you, O king. The Lord bless you, Saul said. At last, someone is concerned about me. Man, I just love old Saul. Uh, you know, when Saul was a kid on the playground, he got beat up every day. There's no way. What a, what a, what a, a crazy boy. The Lord bless you, Saul said. At last, someone is concerned about me. Go and check again to be sure of where he is staying and who has seen him there, for I know that he is very crafty. Discover his hiding places and come back when you are sure. Then I will go with you, and if he is in the area at all, I'll track him down, even if I have to search every hiding place in Judah. So the men of Ziph returned home ahead of Saul. Meanwhile, David and his men had moved into the wilderness at Maon in the Arabah Valley, south of Jeshimon. When David heard that Saul and his men were searching for him, he went even farther into the wilderness to the great rock, and he remained there in the wilderness of Maon, but Saul kept after him in the wilderness. Now, listen to verse 26. Saul and David were now on opposite sides of a mountain. <laughs> They're on opposite sides of the mountain, opposite sides of the hill. I mean, they're not far apart. They, they might be able to smell each other's breakfast in the morning. Just as Saul and his men began to close in on David and his men, an urgent message reached Saul that the Philistines were raiding Israel again. God kept Saul from finding David. And at the right time, geography didn't matter. Geography didn't matter. There was close proximity between Saul and David. 
They could hear each other. You know they could. There's no way you keep that many people and that many animals quiet. There was about to be a showdown, but God sends a message in just the right time and says, the Philistines are attacking Israel. Oh, by the way, God uses all kinds of things to fulfill his purpose. And in this particular case, God happened to use the enemy to attack Israel to save David. God's perfect timing. What a beautiful thing God's perfect timing is. And the crazy thing about God's perfect timing is we never know about it. We never know about it. You would be blown away. I would be blown away if an angel Lord came and visited us in our home today and sat down with us and said, just in the last six months, let me reveal to you everything that we have done to take care of you. I think we'd be blown away. I think we would be absolutely just, just dumbfounded to that. We wouldn't know what to say. We wouldn't know what to do other than thank you, God. I can't believe you have protected us that way. You know, we, we, mankind always say, where was God when this bad stuff happened? We never ever are able to say there are bad stuff that would have happened, but God stepped in. He has stepped in for you. He has stepped in for me. God has perfect timing. He knows what's going on. He's never caught off guard. And there's one thing that we know for sure, that if God has said something is going to happen, we need to be focused on that because God is going to move heavens and mountains and earth and valleys and everything to fulfill what God has said is going to take place. That's why it says in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, to pray the will of God. Because when you pray the will of God, the Holy Spirit will be able to take you down that road so you will begin to realize what God wants and what God wants, He does. And He has perfect timing. 28 says, So Saul quit chasing David and returned to fight the Philistines. Since that time, the place where David was camped has been called the Rock of Escape. David then went to live in the stronghold of En Gedi. That's a great story coming up next. When you're in the wilderness, when you're in the wilderness, learn to pray. Pray about everything. When you're in the wilderness, learn to practice God's method. Be in His Word. Be praying. Learn to pray. Learn to believe in God's people, the church. Believe in them. Listen to them. Be connected with them. And learn to recognize what God's doing around you. Realize that 90% of the things He's told you to do that 10% is where the difficulty is. Believe in people. Believe in friendships. If God has given you a Jonathan, hang on to that Jonathan. Listen to that Jonathan. 
Be open to the, the instruction of that Johnny. He's been placed there by God for your benefit. Learn to believe in people. If someone comes along and says, can I help you with this? Investigate that. Open yourself up to the help of other people. And by all means, be thankful for God's perfect timing. Amen? Amen. The word of the Lord, 1 Samuel chapter 23. Help us, Lord, to be open to your word. Help us to be guided by your word. May we learn from the life of David. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.